Uh, well, this week we're going to be uh, spending time studying Psalm 107, verses 4 through 9, which was the plan last week and before I got sick. And so we're back here in Psalm 107. And just to refresh your memory, one of the reasons why I personally have found Psalm 107 to be so enormously helpful to me is that Psalm 107 is a psalm for people who are wrestling with a sense that they have strayed from what was closest to God's heart. More than that, there's maybe somebody who has strayed way off the path, you're lost in the weeds. Psalm 107 was written to celebrate the God who hears us when we cry out in our distress, even when the distress that we find ourselves in is owing to our own rebellious stupidity. I knew what God said in His Word. I rejected it. I went another way. Now I'm mired in the disastrous consequences of my own rebellion, my own poor choices, my own sin. Will God now say to me, you made your bed, now lie in it? And Psalm 107 is a very strongly worded rejection that that's who your God is. God is such a God as hears us when we cry out in our distress, even when the circumstances that we find ourselves stuck in are because we did not listen to Him. What an amazing thing that even if we didn't listen to God... He doesn't stop up his ears when you cry out to him because you're in trouble now because of your disobedience. This is an amazing God that we worship, an amazing thing we find in Psalm 107. And so last, uh, well, not last week, the week before that, we introduced the first three verses of this incredible psalm, which, by the way, has been celebrated down through the ages of Christianity, the church. A lot of people have turned to Psalm 107. There is no psalm that is quoted more often in the writings, the prayers of the pilgrims who came to the New World. Psalm 107 was something that they held almost up as a, as a, a story of their own journey. Uh, lots of Christians down through the ages, it was a favorite of Charles Spurgeon, a lot of people have really centered on Psalm 107, and I think it's just because it does resonate with the hearts of a people who have awoken to the idea that I've been saved out of my trouble. I've been saved out of my distress. And in Psalm 107, after that first three verses, which really introduces the main theme of the psalm, it goes on for four stanzas to describe four different scenarios where God delivered people out of their problems, their difficulties, their distress, if you want to use that word. And in the first one, which we're going to be spending time this morning, we're going to be thinking about the love that brings us home. And then we're going to study the love that makes us free, the love that makes us whole, and the love that brings us peace. And the whole of it is a celebration of the God who is good, whose steadfast love endures forever. He's good towards us even when we're bad, when we've been bad. This is an amazing God. And so this morning we find ourselves in verses 4 through 9. I'm going to go ahead and read them, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. 
Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things." Now, it seems to me that much of the meaning of this portion of Psalm 107 is going to hinge on what the psalmist meant when he said, a city to dwell in. It says in the opening, in verse 4, that some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. So, that city whatever it is meant to represent, and we'll get to that in a minute, at least I'll take my stab at it, is portrayed here in Psalm 107 as something that mankind is searching for. It's a desired thing that mankind is involved in in seeking out. And all their hungering, thirsting, and fainting is meant to describe a deep soul longing for that this city to dwell in. And I think it's worth noting that although the ultimate aim of these folks who are wandering in desert wastes is to find a home, a city to dwell in, their more immediate goal is simply to find a way there. Really, what they're unable to find is not a city to dwell in, but the way out of the desert waste. That's really what they're looking for first as a natural must come first before they find the city. They first have to find a way to such a place. And they're wandering, and they can't find a way. No matter where they go, no matter which dune they top, which hill they climb to the top of and look around, they see no way out. What's being described here is a people who are wandering through a place that's inhospitable, unable to support their life or provide them with relief and comfort, and they're looking, 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 looking. They cannot find a way out. I used to love watching a show called I Shouldn't Be Alive. Have any of you ever watched that show, I Shouldn't Be Alive, show of hands? I can't be the only one. Okay. I see a hand in the way back. Thank you. (laughs) Look it up. Great show. People who get lost, like they go out on like a day hike with a little water bottle and like two weeks later, they have not been able to find their way out. And they're climbing trees, they're climbing to the top of mountains, they're looking around, there has to be some way out of here, they think they're going to die. I watched a show with one couple where they were lost for days and they were going to die. They actually found somebody else who died in the same location. While they're trying to get out, they find a camper who had written their journal, no way out, and died. They find the body. They're desperate, and they decided, we're just going to start a big forest fire. That'll bring help. They lit the forest on fire. They found a way out. But what's being described here with these desert wanderers is people who are dying. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Their soul is fainting within them. They have wandered around looking everywhere for a way out, and they have not found it. That's what's being described here. Before we move on to this idea about finding a way, finding a way, 
I want to be clear about something. I think we can be very confident that this word picture in Psalm 107, the city to dwell in, is not meant to describe a literal physical city that the psalmist was writing about. And the reason why I say that is because the psalmist says about the desert wanderers that their soul fainted within them. And in verse 9, this section concludes by saying that God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. And this language about the soul cues us in to the fact that the longing, the hungering, the thirsting, the fainting are not describing physical distress, but rather spiritual distress. And when verse 9 talks about the satisfying experience of the longings of our souls being satisfied, that is describing a spiritual rather than a physical deliverance. So when Psalm 107 says that some people were looking for a city to dwell in, I think we can say that what is being described, the desired thing that they're looking for, is not a physical city, but rather a satisfying resting place and a forever home for their souls. But let me circle back for a moment to the idea that what these desert wanderers are looking for is a way out away to the city. Last Sunday, I was blessed by what Ron shared from the study of Jeremiah 6.16. In the passage he shared last week, it said, Thus says the Lord, stand by the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. (coughs) It occurred to me as he was talking that the flow of Jeremiah 6.16 is actually strikingly similar to the passage that we're studying this morning. Please note that in our text for this morning, the turning point from aimless wandering through desert wastes to being led out along a straight way was not lighting the whole forest on fire. (laughs) It was a cry for help, though, right? I guess that is the form that a cry for help could take. But in our psalm this morning, they're wandering around the desert, they can't find a way out, they're hungering, they're thirsting, they're dying, their soul is fainting within them, and then they cry to the Lord in their distress. And that's the turning point that leads to them being led out. And Jeremiah 6.16 calls us to ask for the ancient paths. Stand at the crossroads and look, ask, ask for the ancient paths, that asking for the way. And the crying out to the Lord in Psalm 107 are one and the same act. Jeremiah 6.16 begins with a confusing crossroads. Which way do we go? Psalm 107.4 starts with people who are lost, wandering, and confused. And both passages end with souls being satisfied. In both passages, the ultimate goal is to find rest for our souls. That's the ultimate goal in view. But the more immediate thing to consider, to look for, to inquire after, to ask for, to try to find a way there, is to simply this, find a way. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble. So again, in Jeremiah 6.16, God brings us to this intersection where roads come together. They split off in different directions, heading toward different destinations, And you, as a free moral agent, you are a traveler along the way. 
And you pause, you consider the way ahead before you continue on. And it occurs to me that that may be somebody here this morning. Let me ask you something, fellow traveler. Does your soul feel homeless? I'm banking everything on the fact that you as a human being, as you've grown and gained in maturity, you have had this nagging sense that you were made for something bigger. I'm willing to bet that all of you at one time or another have had this sense that you were made to live your life in service to some cause that is greater than you. Interestingly, and this goes back to the uh, bad old days of the war on terror, uh, there was a time where uh, our national security advisors were really worried about the success that ISIS was having recruiting Westerners to come and serve in their cause in the Middle East. They actually went to the point where FBI was sending people out to high schools like they did in the drug epidemic to warn them against the appeal of some of these ads. This was actually happening in the United States. And one of the things that was interesting about how ISIS was recruiting followers from the West was they told them, come and die for God. And Westerners hearkened to that idea, young people. This was an interesting thing um, because it's the opposite of very often of how Christianity tends to approach young people. Uh, it's the opposite of how Jesus recruited followers. Uh, well, actually, the way we go about it is the opposite. What Jesus said was come and die. It was an interesting thing. But I do think that there is something in the heart of human beings, in the heart of people who answered even that call, that they just felt like I was made to, get, to live my life in service to some great cause, and then it became attached to a disastrously wrong cause. And I see this a lot in the lives of many people who they have to have some great cause to live their life in service to, and they disastrously attach it to all kinds of things. When they were made, they were made to live in relationship with God. And it's satisfying, it's good. And all of these other seeking, searching, trying this is a wandering in the desert. It fails to satisfy, it fails to deliver and fill their souls with good things. And so one of the things I get really excited about when I'm talking about this kind of thing, Psalm 107, is the idea that I might be able to help somebody find what their heart is hungering for. I really believe it's Jesus, it's the gospel, it's the kingdom. So the turning point is this crying out. Does your soul feel homeless? Have you wandered from one book to another? Have you tried this and tried that? Have you wrestled with the great metaphysical questions? Have you looked to other religions and philosophies trying to find a place where your soul can finally alight and be at rest, satisfied in the truth? My conviction is that a lot of human beings are walking around with their soul fainting within them, longing for a, their, a place where their souls can find rest. Jesus was fond of speaking about the way, 
This is an expression he used a lot during the years of his earthly ministry. In John 14, 6, for example, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 7, he famously talked about the straight way that leads to life. Interestingly, though, (coughs) what Jesus did very consistently was not to point people towards the way, but rather he pointed people toward himself as the way. He said to the hungering souls he encountered, I'm the bread of life. He said to thirsting souls, I'm the living water. He said to fainting souls, come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I believe many human beings right now wandering through this desert waste of a fallen world long for a place where their souls can rest. I really believe that. And Jesus said, come to me. You have a hungry soul, I'll feed it. You have a thirsty soul, I'm the living water. Your soul is fainting within you, come to me and I will give you rest. He is the home for your soul. But hold on, you might be thinking. Jesus talked about a straight way that leads to life. And sure, Psalm 107 uses similar language. But how can we be sure that Psalm 107 was talking about Jesus? Isn't that a bit of a leap? After all, Psalm 107 was written how many hundreds of years before Jesus came? How can we know that the writer of Psalm 107 had anything even remotely like Jesus in mind when he wrote these words? I want to take us back to our, some of you, I know you guys memorize all my sermons, right? You remember every word, you'd go home, pour over them, dedicate them to memory, I'm sure. Some of you might remember, though, because it wasn't too terribly long ago, Christmas season 2021, over a year ago. We studied the, the original Christmas songs. If you go and read the Christmas story, the Christmas story in the Bible reads like a musical. People are bursting out into spontaneous songs all through the Christmas story. It's like one of those musicals where like, people just start dancing choreographed in the street and people are like singing out of the windows and stuff like that. Uh, If you read the Christmas story, Mary bursts into spontaneous, impromptu song. Zechariah starts singing. The angels start singing. The Christmas story is just interspersed with these musical interludes, and they're really well done. (laughs) Well done musical. We studied some of those Christmas musicals, and while I was studying Psalm 107, some lines in it, I was like, I've encountered that before. And I placed it. For example, in Mary's song, Luke 153, you can look it up. She says this, He has filled the hungry with good things. Guys, she's quoting Psalm 107. When Psalm 107 says, He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul, He fills with good things. Mary is quoting Psalm 107 in her song about Jesus' coming into the world. Or in Zechariah, 
In Zechariah's song, he says this, speaking about Jesus, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and his song was really written to God in praise of the amazing fact that they were going to be having John the Baptist. But in part of that song, filled with the Holy Spirit, he starts singing also about Jesus. And he said this, for, uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. In Psalm 107, it says, Psalm 107.10, it says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and iron. And then verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. Do you know what Zechariah was quoting? Psalm 107. Now, both of those songs were written to celebrate and explain the meaning and significance of Jesus' coming into the world. And they did that by quoting, at least in part, Psalm 107. So, Scripture's own testimony about Psalm 107, even though it was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, is that in a prophetic sense, it is about Jesus. That is why Mary and Zechariah quote it when they're trying to explain the meaning and significance of what God was doing by sending Jesus into the world. In Psalm 107, we're told that the steadfast love of the Lord, the love that brings us home, the love that sets us free, the love that makes us whole, the love that brings us peace, that this is about Jesus. And this is why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came to bring you home. Jesus came to set you free, to make you whole, and to bring you peace with the Father. And these songs make explicit and clear uh, the connection between the two. So that's the good news at the heart of Christianity. Jesus came into the world so that you can be delivered out of it. He became a son of man so you can become a child of God. He was arrested, tried, and condemned by unjust men so that you could be set free and never fear the day when you must stand before a righteous judge. His body was broken so that yours could be made whole. And he endured the violence and shame of the cross so that you could be justified and put at peace with the Father. Home, freedom, wholeness, peace. This is what your soul longs for. This is the city to dwell in. And so many people are wandering through the desert waste of this world, and they're missing it. And that's sad. We don't say that, I hope, with even a hint of arrogance. Because our own coming to a knowledge of these things is owing to a decisive, merciful act of God and not to any wisdom on our own part. But nevertheless, I do want to go and help others find the way. Guys, I'm filled, filled with the sense that I found it. (laughs) Somehow, amazingly, God has led me to the exit point. And I, 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 I can't keep that silent. Other people are still wandering, hungering, thirsting, fainting. They're dying. And I'm just, I found it. (laughs) No. No, we have to go and help others find this exit point also. Guys, the great news is 
that we're not stuck. We're not stuck here. We're not buried under all these miles of sin, like being buried alive in a box. Guys, there's a way out of here. A way has been made possible. And if we would cry out in our distress, in our soul hunger, say, God, show me the ancient paths. Show me the way. Help me to walk in it. So that's the city to dwell in. I think that's what's meant here. It's a home for your souls. I think we all long for a home. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the heart of man has been longing for that place again. We long to be free. We're slaves to sin. Oh, God, please set us free from this bondage. And we're broken. We long to be whole. We long to be at peace. There is a deep soul longing for these things in the heart of man. But let's talk uh, for just a second here towards the end of my time. Uh, One of the things I did notice about the service last week is it was about a half hour shorter than I typically go. So (laughs) I I turned to Sarah and I said, they're not going to let me come back. (laughs) I think I'm done. So I am returning repentant. Yeah, with a renewed commitment to shorten my old, old filibuster wants to reform. That's what I'm trying to say. But let me uh, finish out our time. That's what a city to dwell in. And if you're a fellow, if you've put your trust in Jesus like I have, uh, you, know, you know what I mean when I'm saying it is satisfying and good to rest in Jesus. I don't know what feeling comes over a salmon, as it noses its way back up a stream to where it first spawned from. I don't know what feeling of assurance comes over that beast, but I imagine it must be something like what I have felt in coming home to God. At some point, I went way off the path, and in finding my way back to Jesus, I have just felt this wonderful sense of being brought home. This, This is it. My soul is at rest. I find the gospel and the Bible intellectually satisfying. All those things I hunger and thirst for, it satisfies. And I have experienced a deep and profound joy as a follower of Jesus that sin never brought me. And my testimony before you, and I'm not a liar, is that there is a way out. There is a city, to, a home to dwell in. You're, there's a place for your soul to find rest, and that is Jesus. But let's talk about the desert for a second. You have undoubtedly somewhere at some time encountered the following quote. Uh, maybe you've seen it on a sticker, a t-shirt, dorm room poster, bumper sticker, travel video, Nalgene water bottle. I've even seen it once stretched over the spare tire on the back of a Jeep. Not all who wander are lost. You guys seen this quote? Not all who wander are lost. This quote has really gained a lot of traction and resonance in our culture. It's become the motto of people who want to pull up stakes, give in to their wanderlust, and embrace the life of a nomad. 
You're not lost, you see, if you had no destination in mind to begin with. Now, some of you are book nerds, and you know where this quote comes from. You're already way ahead of me. I can feel you wanting to, like, put your hand up. I'll get to that in a minute, but let me first just say this. Can a pastor call people a book nerd from the pulpit? A book? I guess we'll find out at the next board meeting. <laughs> but let me first say this. Uh, before we get to the quote's origins and what the writer first meant when he wrote that, this ideal of living a wandering homeless life may be fine. Honestly, I don't know if it's right or wrong to just want to live in an RV and wander around and wherever you go. I, I don't actually know. But let's at least be intellectually honest that that's not the exact same thing as what's being described here in Psalm 107. If you're hungry and thirsty, those things don't get better. You can't wait an hour and see if your thirst went away. It's the nature of thirsting and hungering that the longer you go without satisfying it, the worse it gets, and it can kill you. You can die for lack of drinking or lack of eating. Ask those people who decided to burn down the forest because they were going to die. What's being described in Psalm 107 is somebody who is desperate not somebody who enjoys travel. So when our culture embraces as a governing ethos, not all who wander are lost. Either they're trying to tamp down the desperation of soul, or they don't feel that. If you're hungry and thirsty, it doesn't go away. But in Psalm 107, the situation being described as life or death, it is desperate. But I think that one of the reasons why this quote, not all who wander are lost, resonates so deeply with people in our culture today is because really over the last 75 years or so, our culture has undergone this massive shift away from a dominant Christian worldview to a worldview that is predominantly humanist. Uh, easily today, and lots of studies have been done on this, the dominant worldview by polling data in the United States is humanism, not a biblical Christian worldview. And the leading intellectuals and thought leaders behind the rise of humanism rejected the idea that there is such a thing as a divine lawgiver, a creator, a savior God who answers our cries for help. In short, humanism rejects the idea entirely that there is a city to dwell in at all. That's the stuff of make-believe. That's fairy tale stuff. There's just the desert. And isn't, isn't it beautiful, says the humanist. The life of desert wandering, there's a certain romance and an appeal to it. This is good. This is all that there is. So having rejected the idea that there's a way out, or rejected to the idea that there's a heavenly Father to come home to, humanism, the dominant worldview of our culture, says to all these wandering, hungering, thirsting souls, 
the desert is your home. There is just the desert. Not all who wander are lost, they say. And what they mean, at least I I fear whenever this quote finds expression in in a spiritual way, is that there is virtue in the wandering. The wandering itself is the good thing. And in fact, it's quaint and childlike to believe that there's anything like a city over yonder to dwell in. In fact, I fear that in the midst of our culture today, one of the most offensive things you can say is not, I have found the, is I have found a way, <laughs> that there is a way. That is itself a condemnation of the life of wandering. Christians sometimes describe someone who is not a believer as a lost person. And to that, a humanist might answer, hey, not all who wander are lost. I'm not lost. I don't actually think there's a destination. I'm just wandering in the desert because that's all there is. But now I promise to get back to all you book nerds. It says, not all who wander are lost. But this was first penned by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's one of the most famous lines from the first book in the Lord of the Rings series. In the Fellowship of the Ring, the line refers to a character called Aragorn. Although he is the heir of a king, he grows up without knowledge of his true identity and heritage. Later, Aragorn, in the book... Become, he's not a historical figure. In case <laughs> Don't look him up on Wikipedia or whatever. He actually, actually, he probably does have a Wikipedia page. But later, this fictional character, Aragorn, becomes aware of who his parents were, and he sets out on a quest to live out of his newfound identity as the king, son of the king. To Tolkien, who was a friend of C.S. Lewis and also a Christian, and he wrote the Lord of the Rings series, um, if not explicitly as a Christian metaphor, it was at least shaped by his own Christian worldview. For Tolkien, the line means that not everyone who wanders away from their identity as a child of the king is doomed to be lost in that state. His understanding of not all who wander are lost, is shaped, if not explicitly by Psalm 107, by the idea of Psalm 107, that we've all wandered. We're off, way off in the weeds, humanity is. We wandered way away from God and the path and the way to life. And Tolkien says, kind of hopefully, that not everybody who wandered in that way in the end is lost. You're not doomed to be lost. You made your bed, but you don't have to lie in it. Sure, you're lost in the desert, and it's a trackless waste. It doesn't have what's needed to provide life and a flourishing to your soul. But just because you're there, because of your own rebellion doesn't mean that you can't cry out to God and He'll lead you out of there. We're lost without Christ. 
And we've wandered and we've thought and we've read books and we've invented whole religions, which are an invention of man. And none of it has brought us out. None of it. And then some (laughs) cry out to God in their distress, and He is pleased to come and lead us out. Not all who wander, guys, are lost. Many of us who have wandered have been brought home. To Tolkien, that was the meaning of this. It was not meant to uh, celebrate the life of a bohemian itinerant and a vagabond. It It wasn't meant to celebrate life living in a van or something like that. It really didn't have that in mind. He had something much deeper and truer and more beautiful in mind when he said of Aragorn, not all who wander are lost. At some point, if you're a Christian today, you've become aware that you are a child of the King. And your days of wandering are done, and now you're on a mission, a quest, and you're aiming your lives at something. You've found a home for your souls. A desert waste, especially in those wild ancient days when this psalm was written, (coughs) was an unsafe place. It was a place where a wanderer was vulnerable and unprotected. Then, as now, it was also an inhospitable place without shade or those things that are necessary for life, like water and food. It was also typically a lonely place. And it's worth asking the question, how did we find ourselves here in the desert to begin with? And of course, the short answer is sin. The Greek word for sin that was used by the writers of the New Testament was hamartia. That's a term from archery. It means missing the mark. Sin is a missing of a mark, and it is a losing of our way. Uh, I have many times back before, I learned to drive before cell phones were a thing, really. And back then, you had to actually use like a paper atlas book. I've heard they're actually coming back into style. Some people like to use them. But many times, um, as we're driving, we're trying to navigate with this atlas, and we've got our magnifying glass out, and we're like, I think you have to turn up here, you know, and sometimes we'd miss. We'd get off at the wrong exit, or we'd go the wrong way. And that's the idea with sin. You miss the mark. You miss your exit. You miss the right turn. There was a w- way to go, and you, you just missed it. Hamarsha, you missed the mark. And many times this past week as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of our study of that line from Matthew 5. Again, we studied back in 2021. Remember, we were studying the Beatitudes. And in the fourth Beatitude, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, This reminds me of what's said here in Psalm 107 describing people as hungry and thirsty and their soul fainting within them. And then it says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we observed way back then in our study of the Beatitudes, the whole world the whole world, every stinking one of us, 
is seeking after happiness. I may not know you very well at all today. I may not even know your name, but I know something about you. You want to be happy. I know that for sure and certain. You want to be happy. Happiness is the great motive behind every act and ambition. Every project, plan, and effort is designed to bring some measure of happiness. We even do profoundly unpleasant things, like go to work maybe, because of the happiness of being paid. We want to be happy, and nearly everything we do is designed in some way to go after that. However, here's the mysterious thing, and this is what we talked about when we studied this beatitude. You would think that with everyone wanting to be happy and everyone going after happiness, pursuing it, and living as we do in a society that gives each individual the freedom to seek happiness in whatever floats their boat, isn't it amazing that so few are finding it? It's amazing. Normally, what people practice, they get better at. So why are people so bad at what is so obviously central to all of their life's pursuits? Why is happiness so elusive? Again, this is another, another example of desert wandering. Uh, people look everywhere for the truth, and people are looking everywhere for happiness and a lot of the time, their pursuit of happiness is a big wandering in the desert. I tried this, I tried that, I'm still right back where I was, unhappy. The tragic miscalculation that so many people make, and again, we talked about this when we studied the Beatitudes, and we see it in the church and in the world, is that they do not believe God when He says that the pursuit of righteousness will bring you joy. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be blessed. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. According to the Bible, the happiness that you long for and are pursuing comes from the pursuit of something other than happiness. I think this is why so many lives of Americans are so empty of an enduring happiness an enduring joy, is because they are not seeking happiness in the pursuit of something other than happiness. It's very much like the difference between saying, I want a job and I want money. <laughs> you, you can get money without a job, but it usually doesn't last or you go to jail. That's how that works. But you get money through work by providing a good or a service. Money comes through the pursuit of something other than money. And I want you to know, and this is very important to get in our minds straight, that happiness will come through the pursuit of something other than happiness. And all this sin that we go to looking for happiness is like knocking over the local convenience store. It's like money without work. It doesn't last. It doesn't bring you what you want. It might even in, land you in jail. <laughs> happiness comes through the pursuit of something other than happiness. 
And that something else is righteousness. We find ourselves in this desert waste of a fallen world because of sin. And part of the path out of here is going to be a following of Jesus. Following Jesus. Jesus says that those who love me will keep my commands. Now, you can't love Jesus through law-keeping any more than you can become hungry by eating. I don't believe that. But I think that if you do love Jesus, you'll want to be like Him. You'll want to follow Him. But I do want you to see that what your soul longs for The path out of here is following Jesus. Part of that is following Him in sincerity from the heart, following His example, obeying His commands, embracing righteousness. You want to be happy. But many of us struggle to believe that righteousness really will bring us that deep joy. I want you to test God in this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you believe this morning that God wants to fill your soul with good things? He does. He wants to satisfy your longing soul. But part of that, following Jesus out of here, will be turning our back on that which landed us in this desert waste to begin with and embracing a life of righteousness. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the love that brings us home. God, we thank You for the steadfast love of the Lord. God, You are good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, as it says in the opening verses of Psalm 107. God, we thank You for leading us by a straight way out of the desert waste where we wandered for so many years. God, we thank you for giving us a city to dwell in, a home, a resting place for our souls. And God, it is good. We love living here. We love making our home in you. Help us remain there to abide in you. And God, you want to fill our souls with good things. God, we've been cramming all kinds of nastiness in there, seeking happiness in sin, But God, you really do want to give us good things that are satisfying to our souls. So God, help us to believe you. Help us to pursue righteousness. And God, give us a deep abiding joy as we follow Jesus. Father, that's what we long for. We long for you. Thank you, Lord, for satisfying our soul and giving us a home. In Jesus' name, amen.